0: Hey thanks again for stopping by. If you're new to the channel, my name is Riley and I'm a former Jehovah's Witness. And today I'm interviewing Alison Ruth Schmidt, a former Jehovah's Witness from the UK who is now living in America. Alison left the organisation in 1991 while still a teenager, but didn't wake up to the truth about the truth until much later in 2017, and she'd like to share her story with us. Alison, how are you today?
1: I'm doing really well. Thank you, Riley. How are you?
0: I'm great, thank you. Thank you very much for joining me.
1: Absolutely.
0: Okay. So, how are things um, where you are in the mo- at the moment?
1: Uh, good, really good. Um, I live in New Mexico, in Santa Fe, uh, and uh, uh, it's gorgeous <laughs> here. The weather's really nice. We have a very warm spring, yeah. as you might imagine. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm doing good. Thank you. I have a I have a small business out here that I'm just getting started up. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um so I'm 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 busy <laughs> but really enjoying life here. It's it's a good place to live.
0: Oh, great. Great. So please tell us a bit about your um history and um, your experience as a Jehovah's Witness.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, uh well, um I was born in in 1972 and I uh I had a uh, um I was raised in a single parent family uh my parents uh split up when I was about two two and a half uh, and uh there was some, some spousal abuse in the home um, and my parents although they uh legally separated, they actually never divorced because Jehovah's Witnesses, and um, uh, that that was a sort of a strange atmosphere to grow up in, Uh, kind of being aware that my dad had been a bad actor, Um, he was the abusive spouse, Uh, and then my dad very abruptly kind of leaving the family home when I was sort of two, two and a half, Um, you know, you're in that almost sort of pre-verbal stage of life, so... It impacted me very deeply, but I think I really internalized it. I didn't really know what to do with that. And uh, and so, you know, it was just me and my mum from that point onwards, really. Uh, and we were, I guess, you know, a somewhat sort of peripheral family in the congregation. Um, I think just by dint of being a single parent family, you know, you're never gonna be one of the alpha families. Um, but we were, I mean, you know, um, I mean, the organization felt so different back then, so it definitely felt more kind of close-knit, I suppose. Um, uh, and so, you know, we, we were like not badly treated in the congregation, but it's more like looking back now, I can see that we were, you know, sort of peripheral, B-less, C-less family. Uh... And yeah, so, you know, I grew up, I was, I was obedient. I towed the line. Uh, I had a very close relationship with my mum just because it was a sort of uh, only child, single parent situation. So we were very much like a sort of a a unit. Uh, And then around 18, I started to really chafe against the restrictions of the organization. I saw my school friends and peers really begin to blossom. Their lives began to really open up. Uh, They really started to come into themselves. They got a lot more freedoms. They started to date obviously, have really kind of interesting experiences. They would come back to school and report all of this. And I just felt like I was basically still living like an 11 or 12 year old you know uh on a on a tight leash <laughs> uh, going through the same routines, same motions, absolutely no prospect of going out, having fun, having a boyfriend, experiencing anything new, and it really started to kind of it 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 begins it began to eat eat at me it really ate away at me uh i started to really realize that basically my life was never going to change mm-hmm. that i was always going to be in this sort of semi-childlike state of not really being able to kind of be who i was express myself uh connect with other people experience life the way that i really wanted to and um and by by the uh oh and also you know my friends were all going off to university so there was this sort of big break coming where this sort of cocoon and structure of school was about to kind of go away and I was about to be adrift in life without them without even the kind of release of going to school not that school was easy but I was I was very academic so it was it was one place where I could I could you know kind of express myself and do things and sort of be praised for something other than going door-to-door or commenting at the meetings yeah. you know yeah yeah and so things really came to a head in my 18th year um, there was also a boy at school that I really liked and that he liked me as well. And we were kind of having to do this, even though we liked each other. And it was this realization that I could have this, like I could have him, I could have this relationship if it wasn't for being in the organization. And so um, when school actually finished in the summer, early summer of my 18th year, which I guess would be 1990, um, summer holidays, kicked in and and I actually had a place at art college but it was just like art college that I could go on the bus to and come home you know it wasn't I wasn't leaving but I I I got a place to do a foundation course at art college and and I was allowed to do that and I fell into a deep depression that summer a really deep depression I am I didn't go out (laughs) um I stayed indoors I didn't go out I didn't you know attempt to see anybody and after a few months of that, I, um, I actually attempted suicide. I, I slashed my wrists. And uh, um, I, I really felt that, like, what was the point of going forward? Because there was nothing in front of me other than more of this. And, you know, my mum found me in the middle of trying to slash my wrist in the middle of the night. Uh, in the bathroom, (laughs) which was kind of funny and ironic because the flat we lived in was so tiny. It's like you couldn't even breathe (laughs) without the other person knowing. And I remember thinking at the time, actually finding it kind of funny Um, because I was like, oh, like, that's so typical. Like, I can't even kill myself without her interfering. (laughs) Uh, And I really remember that, and and just thinking, wow, that's like that. Th- there, this is actually comical. Sorry, I'm a little emotional recalling this. It's
0: no problem at all. It's perfectly understandable.
1: It's fine. I'm I'm happy to talk about it, but it it is like wow, you know, yeah, it brings up feelings. So that's what happened. Um, and I seem to remember that my mother said something like, "Oh well, you know, we won't we won't tell the elders." It was almost like you just tried to kill yourself. Um, uh, But don't, but don't worry. Like uh, we, we won't like, I I won't like um, turn you over to the elders. (laughs) I was like, Oh, thanks. (laughs) It'll just be between us, you know? And I can remember going to the meetings after that with my wrists like, Heavily bandaged, and nobody, up uh, you know, said a word. Or, I mean, mm. I guess what were they gonna say? But it was everyone, like no one acted like they noticed. I've got like <laughs> bandages on my wrists. It's like, hmm. So basically, yeah, I just, you know, I, I, I continued to go through the motions. The rest of that year and then um my birthday is in january i turned 19 in january 1991 and the way i remember it it's a little hazy because at the time i wasn't i wasn't making any effort to remember this stuff like as i was going through it i was very much trying to just get rid of it get rid of it get rid just forget it for you know push it away try to move on so My memories of leaving are fragmented and hazy in a way that if I was leaving now, I would have a very strong sense of like, I want to remember this to tell my story and go on YouTube or whatever. But there was no outlet for that. So to me, it was just something negative that I was trying to kind of push away. But basically, yeah, by uh, by the spring of the following year, as I remember it, I was starting to, it just began to slowly dawn on me that maybe I could actually leave. And the truth is, is I had no reason to disbelieve the religion. Um, It was, I, I I think what allowed me to leave was the acknowledgement that I very much wanted to experience life. I wanted to live. I didn't want to be held in this grey, structured, kind of, passionless life. Yeah. Uh, I think what I, I actually came to terms in my mind with the idea that if I was going to die at Armageddon, I had made peace with that.
0: And Mm -hmm. that I would rather
1: leave and live for a while and and be killed by Jehovah, I reached that point in my mind where I was like, okay, you know what? If that's what's going to happen, I accept it because it's more important to me to experience life. So there was that, and there was just this feeling that I had that why would Jehovah make me with all of this intellect and all of these passions and interests and desires and... Why would he create me so full of life, ready to live, and then not allow me to live? You know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not allow me to yeah. experience life. And I just thought, that doesn't make sense. It's just like, why would you create me with, with all of this zest for life and not allow me to fulfill that? And then I just thought, you know what? If that's who God really is, I don't want to worship a God like that. He doesn't deserve my worship. He's put me in in an impossible situation. So I think it was resolving those things in my mind. The willingness to die. <laughs> um, God, I feel like a psychologist would have a lot to say about that because I've heard other ex-witnesses say the same thing, that they had to come oh, to absolutely. terms with being willing to die in order to leave.
0: I remember coming to exactly the same conclusion myself. I, I actually... I mean, when I still believed in him, believed he was real, I actually had that conversation with him one night. I actually said, you know, I'm I'm, I'm not coming back to you. And if that means that I'm going to die, then so be it. I, I would rather live my life and, you know, be happy with, you know, my new partner than come back to you and be miserable. And, and you know, I, I, I distinctly remember having that, conversation yes yeah i remember saying uh, saying in a prayer i said if at armageddon you even if at armageddon you give me one final chance and say here is the new system and everlasting life on the left and here is your partner and the world and everlasting destruction on the right i said "I'll, i'll choose the right thank you very much
1: yes yeah and think about that think about what it takes for a person to have to literally be ready to die to have to come to that point in their mind because you know like you say you still believe that this is real and that this is really going to happen <coughs> that you have to come to this point in your mind where you are ready to um uh you know be annihilated by this kind of unseen force. I mean, I don't again, I think from a psychological point of view, from a psychiatric point of view, like what does that take? And what does that even mean that like a human being has to to have that sort of win that battle with themselves?
0: I think it's a big indication that the religion takes away your freedom because uh, freedom is one of those things that people will gladly gladly risk their life for. True. And I, I, I think that, that that's what it is. It's because being a Jehovah's Witness, you're not free. But freedom is so precious. You know, people will do anything for it.
1: I agree. I agree with you. Yeah. I Yes, you, you are right. Um, but it is kind of extraordinary that, that that's, that's where we have to go to in order to free ourselves mentally enough to leave. Um, So anyway, basically, yeah, I had that, you know, I had those conversations with myself and at 19 and resolved gradually over months that I think I could leave. And I began to try to formulate a kind of a concept of a life outside of the organization which for someone who was born in it takes an it's an extraordinary set of mental gymnastics that is required to envisage yourself outside of this framework that has been all you have ever known and is all that's ever been truly real to you uh But somehow I got far enough down that thought process or into that thought process that I started to feel ready to leave. Um, Now I was still living at home and I had no idea whether my mother would shun me or not. I didn't know if I would be kicked out of the home. I knew on some level that I probably should wait until I had an income, a job. But to be honest with you, the kind of person I am is once I resolve to do something, it's very difficult for me to wait. I guess I, I, I need to kind of go through it. I need to strike while the iron's hot. I'm that kind of person. Yeah. And I was ready and I guess I also was just craving change. So I remember one day going out on field service and knowing that this would be my last time going on field service. And I can actually remember that day very clearly. I can remember being out there, going from door to door and being in such a completely different place in my mind. And knowing that I was going to tell my mom when we got home that I wasn't going to be going anymore. And we got home and at some point later that afternoon i mustered the courage to tell her that i wasn't going to the meetings anymore and you know that was incredibly hard she was very upset uh and you know i i guess I, I don't know if she was initially angry or more bargaining and reasoning initially. I think that she probably was more trying to reason, talk me down off the ledge initially. Uh, and I just said, I'm, you know, I wasn't going anymore. And I just, I probably said I don't believe it anymore. Which wouldn't have been entirely true because I wasn't awake. But... I disbelieved it enough to feel that I could I don't know it's hard to say really where my head was at but I had resolved that I was going and essentially you know then the anger definitely came in probably a little later maybe a few days later or something the defensiveness the kind of uh, accusatory, I suppose, attitude from my mum, uh, where I was really the bad guy. And also, I, I'm i sure there must have been questions about, you know, what was I doing, you know, had I sinned, that kind of thing. Um, I had not. I was still a virgin. I was not secretly dating somebody. Um, I really hadn't done anything. Uh And then some indeterminate period later, but it probably wasn't very long after that, I'm sure it wasn't more than a couple of weeks after that, the elder ambush happened. Right, yeah. And basically they sat me down and did the classic, well, we understand you don't want to go anymore, like what's happened? And the reality is, is, you know, I couldn't really exactly tell them why or what had happened because again i wasn't armed with all of this knowledge i couldn't go oh the child abuse scandal crisis of conscience that was all none of that existed for me uh all i knew in my gut was that i couldn't stay anymore it was killing me it was destroying me spiritually emotionally psychologically and I didn't really have language to express that to them. And so I probably just kept saying, I don't believe anymore. You know, I think I was just trying to find some kind of phrase that would encompass it, but it was very difficult. And, yeah. excuse me. And, and basically what they did is that they're sitting over there on the other side of the room. My mum's on one side, I guess I'm sitting on the other side of the living room. And I remember them saying, is it drugs? Is it because you want to take drugs? Is it boys? And I, oh my God. I was so outraged. Because in that moment and the way that they said it, it was so clear that they just saw me as some stupid little girl who was being led astray by the most trivial and petty things. And... And it it was that simple. It couldn't be anything to do with the organisation. It had to be just some petty failing in me, just some stupid little whim that I was following. Or maybe I had a crush on a boy or something, you know. And the thing is, Mm. I was 19. I was like an adult. I was a grown Mm. woman. But they, they were so condescending, so insulting. And also, Riley, the fact that, like we just said... I had had to come to terms with my own death. I had had to go through such deep and painful and difficult stuff in my mind to even get to that point where I was sitting there. And then they came in with the most trivial and and insulting assumptions about me. And I'm I'm sad to say that I was so overwhelmed in that moment that I burst into tears. Which is the worst thing I could have done. Because all that did was reinforce to them that I was probably conflicted. I didn't know what I was doing. And that I was just this stupid little girl. But I started crying because I was... I didn't have the language to tell them what was going on with me. And I was so insulted and demeaned in that moment. And so that's how that went.
0: (laughs) Mm. I mean, it just... From what you're saying, it just goes to show how this organization is extremely narcissistic and it it encourages a narcissistic attitude in its members the the more indoctrinated you are the more like a narcissist you behave and narcissists can never ever understand or accept that you want to leave because of them
1: yes
0: narcissists don't handle rejection well at all you know, they, they will believe that it's any other reason under the sun, but it could never, their mind will not even go there, that it's because of them. And that's exactly what the organization is like. They it, it, it just can't accept that anyone would willingly leave because there's a problem with the organization. So it's got to be because you want to sin. Or because, you know, you you found somebody in the world who's leading you away, or because, as you mentioned in your own experience, drugs or anything else, it will be every every other reason except that the organization is broken.
1: so true, so true, Riley. Yeah. and uh, and and let let me be honest, I did want to have sex. <laughs> Of course. And I, mean, I did it's... want to experiment with drugs. Sure. I was 19. Yes, I wanted those things. But was that the reason I was leaving? Absolutely not. No, it was not. It was something so much deeper. And at the end of the day, it was like my gut, you know, my deepest inner, the part of you that's really deep, that's yeah. sort of intact regardless of everything that goes on, that kind of knows what to do. Yeah. It was like my gut was just telling me, leave, leave, you just gotta get out. But again, I didn't have the language. I had no framework for explaining this to them. And it might be difficult for someone leaving now to understand that given that there is so much discussion about this, so much talk Mm. about it, so much objective reality about how the organization is, how we've been manipulated what you know religious abuse religious trauma is all of that but I didn't have any language like that to be able to hit them with all these (laughs) incisive reasons so that that was it really and I just remember crying I was upset it didn't really go anywhere um you know, except that I felt demeaned and I, and I also was, I guess, was angry with myself that I had, like, cried in front of them. And you can see that I'm still emotional about it. But now I absolutely can't be angry at myself because, my God, it's like... I actually handled it pretty well in many ways. <laughs> you know, and of, of course, I'm not still angry with myself. I, I was I was in, a, like, an impossible situation. Uh, and, you know still essentially indoctrinated and and very disempowered because of just being raised as a woman in that organization. Um. So anyway, they left. And I remember afterwards just railing at my mother. I was like, how could you do that? And because she had set the whole thing up, you know? Yeah. But I remember that that really ruptured my trust in her. And it definitely added to um, an already fractured relationship that we had. Which was, yes, fractured by me declaring that I wanted to leave. But also fractured on my end by my resentment of the years of control that she had wielded over me. And how much she had crushed my spirit and kind of... Bent me out of shape, I would say. I felt really like I had been distorted through this process of being raised like that. I was, I was beginning to get a glimpse of how problematic that upbringing had been and how difficult I was, you know, going to find it kind of trying to rebuild my life. I was getting a glimpse of it, and I was angry. Yeah, I was full of rage, really, to be honest with you. Um, A lot of negative feelings at that time. Uh, So I think what happened, and again, it's, it's hazy, it's not very clear, but I think essentially what happened was that the elders would not accept my verbal... Uh, declaration that I was done that was sort of the, that was kind of the upshot of that meeting or whatever That they, they wouldn't accept it and I think there was some talk about look why don't you just take a break just take a few months take a break from the meetings and then think about kind of coming back and after that humiliation and after understanding very clearly how low of an opinion they had of me There was no way that I was just gonna kind of ride the coattails of that offer. Mm -hmm. And so I wrote a letter of disassociation. Uh, And what happened next is again, very hazy. I don't remember whether I gave it to them, delivered it to them and they still didn't accept my letter. But I definitely remember having to, like, make a big effort to get them to accept that I was done. Um, it's really vague, but essentially, whether or not they accepted it the first time, eventually they accepted my letter. They had to. I told them I meant it, and it was real. Um, I wish I would have kept a copy of it. Uh, I think it was handwritten, because this is 1991. I didn't have a computer or a printer. <laughs> I think I hand wrote it in cursive, one copy, <laughs> signed it, put it in an envelope. Um, now I really wish I had a copy of it, because I'd love to reread it and see what it actually said. But I think it was short and sweet that I was done. And after some to and froing. They had to accept it. And, um, and I was announced maybe a month or so later. I, again, the time frame is hazy. And I remember that my mom knew the meeting where they were going to announce me. And I remember telling her not to go. I just said, well, why, why go and sit there while they announce me? Just don't go tonight or whatever. And my mom was adamant that she must go. So she went and came home and i'd been announced and like for me it was great i was thrilled that they'd finally had accepted you know and the, the the thing is it's interesting now when i see people leaving and there's all the always discussions online about oh should i write the letter and people are like no i don't write the letter you're playing playing by their rules screw them and i'm just like look you know what everyone's different everyone's circumstances is different, but. I, I am the staunchest advocate for writing the letter personally. For me, it was so important for me to write a letter that, yes, played by their rules, but the key to that was that they had to acknowledge it because it's their rules. They couldn't <coughs> ignore me any longer. They couldn't discount me as some foolish little girl. They had to take it seriously because I, I did it. You know, I followed their bureaucracy. And as <clears throat> much as they kind of didn't want to announce me, you know, I mean, I was, you know, they were pretty much begging me, don't do this, don't leave. They didn't want to announce me. My mum desperately didn't want me to leave. And the fact that I just basically, by writing that letter, just cut It was like I cut through all of that BS and all of that resistance because they couldn't ignore the letter. And I love that. I love that I did that. It was such a strong statement of my of standing in my own power. For me, it was taking back my power, not giving them power. I took the power and I said, screw you, just like if you're in a horrible job. How much more satisfying is it to go into your boss's office and say, fuck you and fuck your job and walk out right in the middle of the shift rather than he fires you? That's how I see it. And for me personally, it was such a point of pride that at 19, I wrote that letter knowing how final it would be and knowing they'd announce me and all of that and knowing that potentially now I'm going to be shunned. And I did it anyway. Mm. So I'm just going to say that's my position on it. I, yes, you're playing by their rules. But here's the thing. That world is absolutely real to them. Those rules are real to them. That bureaucracy is real to them. They live by it. They die by it. And if you basically, within the framework of that, basically give them the finger I don't know. To me, that I don't see how that how you're losing in that scenario at all. But you know what? I mean, again, I, I'm I'm only expressing from my point of view in the context of what I went through, how significant it was for me to disassociate, you know, and and to sort of it did give me a lot of a feeling of control and empowerment, even though I know not everyone sees it that way. A lot of people are like, oh, you just, you did it their way. And I'm like, well, but, but again, it's like their way matters to them. So, yeah. And also, again, you got to remember, this is a totally different era. Um, You know, all I was trying to do was basically just try to get my feet under me, And to get them off my back, I didn't want any more elder visits or people bugging me and and questioning my decision making process and all of that. And this was, to me, the most effective way of just like cutting it, cutting the cord and like removing their their hand off of me, you know, or their hand on the back of my neck, you know, It it was the quickest way of getting that hand off. And to this day i'm I'm really proud I did that, so there we are you know
0: so so what happened next after you disassociated? How did your life turn out?
1: <laughs> well that's a big question honestly it was it was really tough it was really really hard i'm not I can't pretend that it wasn't um, I left home at twenty one so I was still at home for the next couple of years um you know i I made a lot of I made a lot of choices, not a lot of choices, but I made some choices that I wouldn't have made if I wasn't in that situation, but my need to start work and uh, leave home was so strong. The atmosphere in the home was very, very poisonous, very toxic, Uh, you know, obviously it caused a huge rupture in our relationship. Things were just never the same. Um, My mum didn't shun me uh, and she let me stay at home, which, you know, I'm very grateful for. It would have been really hard to be kicked out at that time in my life with like no support network or anything. Um, You know, and my mum still doesn't shun me to this day. I left home at 21. Um, basically, a a bad decision I made was I I got a place on a degree course at a really good college to do a graphic design degree at the London College of Printing, as it was then, which was a really great school to go to. And I got a place and I turned it down, which is like, oh, bad decision number one. And the reason why is because I couldn't face another three years living at home. And I really didn't know how to go out and support myself, kind of working part-time and everything while I was in college. Again, you have to remember, I had no expectation of this. I had never had any coaching about how you function at college and live, and it was just too daunting. And so I turned down that place on a really good degree program. that probably would have, you know, given me a a good income and a good career. Um, And I I just took a one-year course, quick in and out kind of like BTEC course or something, just to get some kind of skill set. And then I went out into work. And it was interesting because it's like that that low start, you know, like not being qualified to do better jobs. And just doing kind of low-end work, low-end graphic design work and kind of getting jobs that I didn't really want to get. Like, one of my first jobs was working in, like, a, a Pronto print, print shop. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, where you might design a business card or something here and there, but it was very, like, mundane. And so I ended up kind of at a much lower level of, like, employment than I should have from my abilities. And that, honestly, that has dogged me my whole life. It's just, like, never really levelling up employment-wise. Uh, I moved out of home, I got my own flat in North London, and then I subsequently moved around North London. Uh, Moving was a very big part of my life. I was constantly searching, I think, for some kind of niche or some kind of situation where I would feel normal. (coughs) And I never felt normal anywhere. I never felt like I fitted in. I had such difficulty making friends building relationships, such incredible difficulty. Um, Now, if I could have done it over, I would have immediately gone therapy. Mm. At the time, I really didn't know what was wrong with me, to be honest with you. Uh, I knew that I'd had a very dislocated upbringing. I knew I didn't fit in at school. But I kind of thought, well, all of that's behind me now, so All I have to do is just act like everyone else and my life will be normal, (laughs) you know? Just do what all those other people are doing and I'll get the things that they have. I'll get social networks and friends and good times and a boyfriend and all of this stuff. And it did not happen. I was so isolated and... Really was really quite weird. Um, When I look back now at like the first few jobs I had, the way I behaved in the workplace was like, I was odd. I didn't have good social skills. I didn't know how to kind of like roll with that environment. I would say weird out of place things that were like inappropriate or didn't make sense. Uh, I was really, really socially stunted um, and I really, really struggled. I didn't have a friend network from school to fall back on. I had never had close friends in the congregation, so it wasn't, it wasn't like I was missing friends I'd had in the congregation because I was kind of a loner in the congregation too. But I will say that if I had had a better social life while in the organization, I at least would have developed some of the skills that you need in order to kind of know what that even feels like, or to build those people around you, and I had none of that. And I genuinely thought that all I had to do was just move on from this, put it behind me, and that normal things would happen to me, and they did not. Now, after having discovered the XJW online community since 2017 and having been in facebook groups and listened to youtube videos now i understand that i definitely have cptsd um you know i've self-diagnosed that because i've read books about it and i check like every box i know i have religious trauma syndrome i know that i have you know Probably mild personality disorder from my upbringing and all of these things were so alive and in play at that time And I just didn't know why Mm. I couldn't connect Why people seemed to sort of like it. I felt like I was made of glass like people just slid off me like I couldn't Mesh with Mm. people. I was odd. I Was definitely developmentally stunted I, I didn't understand social cues. And it was really an agonizing time, to be honest with you, because I'm in my early 20s. More than anything, I'm desperate for friends. I desperately want a partner. And finding those things felt like finding a unicorn. It was so, so difficult. And so, yeah, I was isolated. I spent most of my time alone alone. I went to work, I came home, I spent the evening at home on my own, I went out and did things on my own, uh, and when I finally met my fir- the first guy that I ever dated, which I was 22 at that point, um, my pattern with unavailable men began. <laughs> so because of all that damage, because of all of those psychological issues, I... Um, basically attracted my first unavailable man and my love life from then on was set in that pattern. So yeah, it's been a struggle. <laughs> it's been tough. Finding the XJW community has been like balm to my soul to hear so many other people talk about the same struggles has helped me enormously.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, from from my perspective, I mean, doing these interviews and, you know, since I've gotten involved in activism, and it's just the same things over and over and over again yes. that, that come up, you know, the same things, the same struggles, feeling stunted, feeling like a child, you know, I, I've been through all of those things myself as well, you know, um, going out into the world and making friends and you know, um, forming a new social network. All of those things are just so incredibly difficult. And there's been times where I've actually felt like an alien. <laughs> I felt like I'm an alien. I have to u- learn a whole new social etiquette, you know. And even just like things in everyday life, just like I feel like I'm, I'm pretending to be an adult rather than actually being an adult. You know, sometimes I just I just feel like I'm a, you know, like when kids play dress up and they pretend to be grown-ups and you know, a lot of the time I feel like I'm just pretending to be a grown up and I'm not actually one. <laughs> Cause I feel so stunted.
1: Yes. It is. It's it's like I feel that I've sort of built an external persona
0: that's
1: that's actually it's very convincing. <laughs> um I I mean I I'm naturally an introvert but but I do I I sort of have an an extroverted side that really wants expression and um you know I I do struggle with how to sort of put that side of me out there while still protecting the introvert side um I've definitely learned more to balance that over the years but I think what I've done is I've given my intro extrovert side the task of managing my image <laughs> um and it's weird because people meet me and they're like oh oh you're, you're you're so bubbly and extroverted you seem like such a people person and I'm like mm. That this is working really well for me, because inside, I'm just like this, like, I have no idea, you know, it's like, oh, I made another social mistake. I don't know what's going on. Why do I, why do I still feel so isolated? It's like, I'm still kind of alone in here. Um, yeah, it's really interesting just how it is like a split personality in many ways. Um uh, <laughs> I, I think our job, Riley, is to find a way of integrating the, bro- the well, I'm not gonna say broken, but the, the damaged and kind of uncertain and sort of messy interior part of us with the kind of more uh, accomplished exterior. I think our task is to integrate the two to merge them so that they become one functioning person rather than these two separate things that we have to go through life with.
0: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Absolutely right. I mean, I've heard before, I'm not sure who it was who who said it, but I've heard this quote that everyone has like two personas. There's the one that you are inside and the one you show to everyone else. And the more alike those two personas are, the happier you are and the more um, different they are is the unhappy, the, the more unhappy you are. And I think there's a lot of truth in that.
1: There really is. I couldn't agree more. I um I, I definitely want to connect with more XJWs in real life. Like I'm really craving mm-hmm. that. Um, living in New Mexico, there isn't a big XJW community here. Um, and I haven't met any XJWs in person. Since I was actually in New York some years ago, just on a vacation, and I managed to connect with a few of the New York XJWs, and just sitting with them in a coffee shop was the most extraordinary feeling. Talking to people who use the same phraseology and understand the in words of organized, and just again, just finding so much commonality even in just an hour or two in a coffee shop with just a, a few people, it was the most extraordinary, liberating, nourishing experience for me. And so I ideally and deeply want to connect in person with XJWs. The, the online community is great, but I, I crave personal one-to-one interaction. Yes.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I haven't myself been to an XJW meetup, um, not in person anyway, because I didn't wake up until after Corona had already hit, so everything's just online now. So I, I can't wait for the restrictions over here to lift so that I can actually, because I've made, I've made quite a few XJW friends now, really good friends, that I would just yeah. love to spend some in-person time with. Um, but unfortunately, the, the restrictions don't allow, so I'm really, really looking forward to when they're gone. The restrictions are gone so that we can all meet up in person. I, I, I literally cannot wait.
1: Well, I, I actually belong to the, the UK XJW Facebook group okay, that they allowed okay. me to join because I'm British and I was raised, you know, yeah. in the organisation in the UK. And, uh, you know, the next time I come back to the UK, I'm really hoping that somehow I can coordinate it with a meetup because I would love to yeah. meet all of you.
0: Do you come back to the UK often?
1: Um, Usually about once a year. And I'm okay. long overdue for a visit because of, again, because of coronavirus, I would have already yeah. been back by now. Yeah, um, yeah. So it would be great to... That would be really good for you. Really good for me, because again, I do feel also the culture of the, the Jehovah's Witnesses is different in the UK than in the US. If I see another absolutely. post about cheese danishes and Shasta Cola at the conventions, I'm <laughs> going to scream. I'm like, we didn't have that. That's nothing to do with us. <laughs> there was no cheese absolutely. danishes at Bowes Road or Twickenham.
0: Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I'm so keen to to get more um, UK XJWs on, onto my channel. And that's why I was so pleased, you know, when I got that initial uh, message from you. Because when I was waking up there I mean there still are very few, you know very, very few you know XJW witnesses uh, sorry XJW activists on YouTube, you know apart from Lloyd obviously, but um, they're they're mostly based in the US. and I think it, it it would have been really, really great to have seen some some UK ones. I mean there are a couple more now, but I would really really love to see more. I would love to see more, because as you said, that, that there is a cultural difference.
1: There really is. And, and also, I, I am on a quest to find some people that I knew when I was in. Uh, <clears throat> I have not yet found anybody from my previous congregation uh, at, or anybody who knew me then. Um, And it's tricky because, I mean, basically I was still a teenager when I left. I didn't have an adult life in the organisation. So there are lots of people that might have known me as a child but might not necessarily connect that with, like, who I am now. They might, you know, um, and of course you're not necessarily going to remember the kids in the organisation. I'd love to meet someone who's around my age who maybe left, maybe a little before me or a little after me. Uh, yeah, I still hold out hope of finding people who were from um, London Paddington Congregation, if anyone's out there, <laughs> and was in the org in the 70s and 80s or early 90s. Um, I'd love to connect with you. It would be really good to share those specific memories of that congregation, those people, that kingdom hall, you know.
0: Well, you never know, this video might reach some of them.
1: It might, and that would be very exciting. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, so, so it's, it's been, honestly, it's been a rough journey, and I, and I, I, do, think, I do think that there, there is more to be said about the difference between leaving pre-internet and post internet there's a lot to be said about that and it it does get touched on from time to time but I feel like there's a lot to be said because and there are people who left way earlier than me you know obviously people left in the (laughs) 80s and 70s and obviously prior to that but it's so interesting to me because you know leaving really on just a few years before the internet became a thing uh, and now i'm thinking why did it take me so long to find the xjw community why why did it take till 2017 and the reason why is because when i left as i've said i was trying to just i I thought that if i just pushed it away put it in a drawer and closed the file that i could just live normally well mm, doesn't work like that and as time went on, it didn't occur to me that there was any support out there. Because why would I imagine that there was, you know? And even if there was, how would I go about finding it with no internet? You know, how, how would I find other XJWs? There was no concept in my mind that you could do that. And in all those years, I never crossed path with a, with another XJW. Just didn't didn't even accidentally bump into one.
0: How, how did you find? How did you eventually find the XJW community and find out? You know, all of this information on, online. You know what, what was what was that experience like?
1: Well, in 2017, my husband and I moved from uh, Georgia, Atlanta, to Albuquerque, New Mexico. We we made a big move across country. And I think there was just something about maybe my mindset around that time because it was a huge transition, a period of change. Um, I just started to ruminate. For some reason, I started to think and ruminate about my JW past during that transition, that move. It just sort of started to bubble up for me more. And I just, you know, just remember, I remember sort of... Actually, thinking, which is laughable now, I kept thinking, gosh, I just, if only there was like a community of people out there who would talk about this stuff. Or if only we were represented somehow in some kind of group or community. And I just, I remember this sadness coming over me, thinking, I just can't believe that something that is still so resonant in my life just isn't being discussed anywhere. And something, probably the same gut, (laughs) the same gut said, why don't you just go and see, like, just search for Jehovah's Witnesses in the Facebook search bar. (laughs) And I was like, oh, (laughs) wait a minute. (laughs) And like, how crazy that I was in my, you know, mid-40s and I I just never really looked before Um, because the internet had just kind of happened and I don't know I was so used to just going it alone, being like this spiritual nomad, this kind of person in exile just trudging through life dealing with all of this stuff in and out of therapy yes and I did discuss it in therapy but you know it was interesting in therapy I would always go and they would be like why have you come to therapy oh I'm just depressed oh you know I'm unlucky in love I can't find a partner oh I'm just you know I just I'm dogged by this sadness. I don't know why. And it was, I was always presenting to therapists for things other than I'm a cult survivor. You know what I mean? So I would have therapy for depression. I would have therapy. I even, I even did this like group therapy once about like removing your blocks to finding a partner and all of that, you know, like that was how I was thinking about therapy. I Mm. never once went to a therapist saying I've been in this abusive cult I need to be deprogrammed or whatever. And so, yes, I have made progress having therapy, but it never got to the core, the root of the problem. Yeah, yeah. And so I was so used to just being this lone person who was just dealing with her issues, you know, struggling in life, couldn't quite understand why after all this time I wasn't just normal by now. Why I still felt so alienated, so different, so weird, so I couldn't relate to other people. And I was so used to that, that I just, for some reason, didn't look because I didn't think there was anything out there for me. And boom, I look and bam, there it is. And so I'm immediately joining all these groups. I'm immediately starting to talk to people. Um, I'm getting into fights with people really quickly. (laughs) <laughs> I'm like very I have all of this anger, you know, I still haven't worked through it. And so I'm coming into these groups with all of this anger and all of this kind of scrappy attitude and uh and still super judgmental. Uh partially from being a witness and partially because to be honest with you, it was a bit like I I could describe it almost like if you think of like a western or something <laughs> there's like the western town and everyone's like in the saloon like hanging out <laughs> and this like <laughs> ragged stranger walks into town and they're all ragged and they've been like living out in the tumbleweed and they've been like eating squirrels and like drinking from like dr- watering holes with like you know what I mean And you're all like just covered in thistles and your clothes are all ragged and like you've just been like sleeping outside under the stars and and you and you can hear like the tinkle of the piano from the saloon and like the glow coming through the windows and you're just like you know sort of like dragging your like fractured leg in the dirt and everything and you come in the saloon and like the music stops and everyone turns and looks and you're just like you know and, and you know what, it, like that's how I felt like, yeah, I've been yeah. out there just, like, clawing my way through life on my own with lo- no support and no information. And you're all in here in this, like, warm, cosy, like, Facebook group. And to be honest with you, yeah, it's, like, it's taken... I- I've had to work through a lot of, like, belligerence and anger and resentment and probably, like, jealousy as well, you know, in these oh, groups goodness. of, like... And, and sometimes I have been too judgmental. So I don't know really what I'm trying to say with that, really. I guess it's just, it's interesting. There are these sort of two groups. The people who had the information about the truth, about the truth, to wake up. And the people who didn't, who've stumbled on it later. Yeah. To answer your question way back when, yes, I woke up from being in those groups I fully woke up um, I always knew it wasn't the truth I wasn't I wasn't you know uh, POMY. I was POMO but I had never been given the, the exact tools and the real reasons to know to know for sure it was not the truth I didn't know about the child abuse I never understood that it was a cult I just thought, oh, you know, it's a strict religion. When I first heard Uh people say it was a cult, I resisted that like a lot of people do. Because I think of a cult as, you know, Heaven's Gate or Jonestown or, you know, I think of a cult as something much more extreme, usually with one charismatic leader and all of that stuff that you classically think of a cult as. And it wasn't until I'd heard enough people say that and then I... You know, read The Bite Model by Stephen Hassan. And then I read, you know, um, uh, Cult Mind Control and all of that, that I really began to understand, wow, I, I've i survived a cult. Oh. I'm a cult survivor. My mother's in a cult. And it's just like, whoa, you know, because... I've gone so many years of my life not thinking that, not understanding that, not having that framework. And I think the XJW community, the the greatest gift it's given me is having a context for my experience because I just always felt like I was free floating in the world. I knew something was really wrong with me but I didn't know what it was or why or why can't I just get over it, why can't I just transcend it, why do all these patterns keep repeating in my life and now I have a context and that has been the most important thing for me, understanding what I was part of, what was done to me, how I was indoctrinated, what the after effects of that are, why I struggle with X, Y and Z. That in itself has given me like a quantum leap forward in my healing. It really has.
0: I can only imagine, you know, it's like um, if if you're for a person who's suffering from an illness that is undiagnosed. You know, once they get the diagnosis, it doesn't cure them. But it must be such a relief to to finally know what it is that you're suffering with. I I can honestly, I can relate to that. I can definitely relate to that.
1: That's huge. That's a huge piece of it.
0: The thing that I find as well is that I, I don't believe that... Well, this is just my my own personal opinion. I think that we'll never come to a time where we'll, we'll be fully healed from being a part of that organisation. But that doesn't mean that you, your progress has to stagnate. I think you can still continue, you know, progressing and developing and healing and getting better and, and moving forward. For the rest of your life, but it, it, it's it's a race that hasn 't got a finish line, if you know what I mean
1: I completely agree. the finish line is when you die, basically yeah, yeah exactly exactly I do agree exactly. and I you know I, I'm still trying to build more context for my experience i'm still trying to understand better where i 'm actually at you know like how, how far have I come am am I more healed than I think I am, and also at what point does your healing as a, as a cult survivor overlap with just the normal neuroses of everyday people, you know? Because sometimes I think, well, like you said earlier, everyone has a persona. Sorry, I'm snuffly because I'm... Um. It's okay. <laughs> because I've just been a little teary. Um, everyone, every person out there has a sort of a, a persona that they show to the world and one that's behind that's more yeah. tender and delicate and unsure. And, you know, what I'm trying to understand about myself is where do my issues with the cult end? And where does just me as a regular, normally neurotic
0: person in this
1: yeah. world begin, you know?
0: Yeah. I, I get that. I get that so much. I mean, there, there were times. I mean, after I, shortly after I was disfellowshipped, there were there were times where I woke up in the morning and I literally did not know who I was. I, it's like my my entire identity had been erased, or or, or just removed. Everything that I had used to define myself as a person was gone. And I didn't know who I was. And even sometimes now, when I when I like reflect on parts of my personality, I think to myself, "Well, how much of me is actually me, and how much is of me is JW me?" You know, it's really difficult sometimes to 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 differentiate between the two, or know where one ends and one in be- the other begins, or where they overlap. You know, it, I I totally get what you're saying. It's it's really difficult.
1: This is where I think we desperately need more therapists that Mm. are ex-JWs or are well-trained in the JW experience. Uh, Well, or in the cult survivor experience, you know, if you want to broaden it out a little bit. Because I do – I actually definitely see that as an issue for me right now. All the therapy I've done, all the self-help books, all the videos – all the deep thinking, all the self-examination. I'm, st- I'm not quite sure where I am on the spectrum. You know, <clears throat> like, I fe- still feel kind of messed up, but am I in reality way more healed over here? I still think I'm like, oh, I'm still a, a hot mess, but actually, maybe I'm really here, you know, and maybe your average normal person is like there and i'm almost there and 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 a lot of my self-doubt and my struggles and stuff are just things that everyone deals with and i'd love to if there was a professional i could go to that could give me more context for that you know um, and actually i i actually went to school to train to be a therapist myself 10 years ago I was working in the film industry, and i I started I was having therapy at the time, and I started to strongly feel that I, that that's that's something that I would want to do as as a career. and uh, i I feel that I have a natural aptitude for that as well. I've always been a kind of informal counsellor to other people and, you know, someone that people seem to feel they can confide in. And Mm. uh, that's actually what started my journey in the U.S. because I actually applied to uh, a school in California to study, to be an arts therapist. I've always been very creative and artistic and I had a deep interest in learning to be a therapist Uh, This was 10 plus years ago. No, this was over 10 years ago. I was in my late 30s. Again, you know, I hadn't fully woken up, didn't fully understand my issues, uh, but really felt strongly that I wanted to do this. And so I went out to San Francisco and I went to uh, start studying for my uh, master's degree in uh, arts therapy with a view to becoming a practicing uh, therapist. And long story short, I got a year into the program, and I completely unraveled. I came apart at the seams, psychologically and emotionally. Um, I think what it was is that I I had this... It was such a grandiose feeling of, my God, I finally found my path. I finally found my calling. This is my niche. This is what I'm going to be good at. and I thought, you know, this is great. I'm going back to school later in life. I'm so much more mature. I've worked through so much of my stuff. This is going to be the great college experience that I never had. This is going to be where I really blossom and come into myself. And so I go to this school and I'm just so full of optimism and hope and excitement. And I'm so thrilled to be in the US, which is something I always wanted. And, and you know what I found? I found another group of people that I didn't fit into. I found another place where I found like, felt like a misfit and an alien. I felt, found another context where I couldn't find my feet. And I just, and the other thing is, is that when you go to study to be a therapist you are also going through your you're in therapy yourself at the time and all of your classes are kind of like versions of group therapy you're doing different therapeutic modalities so you are actually cracking yourself open it's a bit like a boot camp you know in the army where they break you down and then build you back yeah. up again well it's, yeah. it's like a very gentle loving yogic woo woo version of boot camp <laughs> where you Mm -hmm. you crack open and you start deep diving into your own stuff as you're learning therapeutic theory therapeutic practice it's this big thing and for a while that was the greatest thing ever for me I have a lot of resilience for therapy and for deep diving and I loved it I loved it it was rich I was really getting into some deep stuff I was you know, doing my own art therapy. And it was just fabulous. And as time went on, it became really clear to me that I'm just like, I feel like an outsider, like I can't fit with my cohort. And you know what was so painful? Was to see them forming, forging these deep relationships with each other. I have a tissue at the ready because I know I'm going to cry over this because it's still so raw. Even over 10 years later, they were forging friendships. They were forging relationships. And, you know, I did, I did make friends, but it just, I still felt so weird. Like I just couldn't, there was something that just wasn't connecting for me and I broke down and I cried and I actually went and sat on a fire escape outside to get away from them and I was just like bawling my eyes out like overwhelmed with how pathetic and sad my life was because it just and you know what was interesting was that I couldn't ask for help from them like, I was unable to tell them my experience because at that time I didn't have that context for what I'd been through. And I didn't know why I felt like that, why I felt so weird. When this should have been like this kind of glorious moment in my life where I was like achieving my goals and going back to school. And anyway, so that went on for like months. <laughs> And eventually we were in this group therapy class, which was called group process, but it was it was group therapy by another name. And essentially what happened was, is that I basically lost it in the middle of that class and I started like attacking everyone in the class. And I just I sort of in my in my kind of like dislocated way told them. I am so lonely, I don't have anybody, I don't feel like I fit in anywhere, and all of you are always just talking about your friends and your partners and all of this stuff that you have in your life, and I said, you know what, you know what, I said, this is like oppression, because you don't understand that there are people amongst you that like feel so lost and so isolated and I feel again I was in California right so I picked up quite a lot of like the buzzwords I feel oppressed by you this group is oppressing (laughs) me (laughs) it's funny now right it is funny this is oppression because you don't understand that there are people every day who just see togetherness and they can't participate in that and they're just like excluded from that so I was like making a good point but not in a very like good way And there were people in that group that were like deeply, deeply offended by what I said because I was mean about it. And, you know, uh, I basically offended so many people in that group because I said I was just so tired of hearing about their lives and their stupid relationships and stuff and that I got kicked out of the group, basically. And then people like weren't even like talking to me, really, like some of them, and it was super awkward. And it was really interesting, Riley, because what I did is I basically like created my own self-fulfilling prophecy, which is my belief that I don't fit in anywhere and that no one will like me or accept me. And I literally made that happen. I made that come true. <clears throat> and shortly after that, I just crashed out of the program. And I remember that when when I went back to sit with that, with that head of the program after I said I was leaving, and I explained to her that I just found it unbearable to be around the members of my cohort, the same person that had said to me... The same person that had said to me, like, a couple months before that I had one of the strongest therapeutic presences in the whole cohort... Said to me that I'm probably not someone that somebody would want to sit with. Oh no. So that was really hard. So I guess I'm just saying that, you know. And then later on, by reading about CPTSD, I understood that that's what what had happened. It was my CPTSD, my triggers, all of the ways that I couldn't be around people and all of my... All of my repeating patterns with people. You know? It like destroyed a whole opportunity that I had had. That's kind of hard to come to terms with. You know, even still, it's tough
0: have you ever thought about trying to trying to do that again
1: people have asked me that a lot like they're like oh that ship hasn't sailed why don't you go back and i don't know i feel like that ship has sailed to be honest with you i mean a lot of time has passed and the financial implications of going back now would be really tough it was a time in my life where i was able to kind of do that financially and i just don't think i could now and to be honest with you, as much ability as I know that I would have had in that field. And also knowing that there need to be a lot more therapists who are at XJWs. I think there are still levels where that really destroyed my my confidence to do that. And it kind of, it's sort of like the lights just went out on that on that potential path, you know. I don't think I could regain that trajectory again. But that was that was That's rough. It. <laughs> Especially, you know, it's that thing of when people say in the groups, "Don't let this cult keep taking from you." You know, don't let it keep robbing you. It already robbed you of x number of years. Don't let it rob you of more years and I have to say, I, that is one of the most pertinent things that I would say to any XJW is get the therapy you need right up front, do it early and do it thoroughly. Well. You know, don't think you can go it alone. You can't <sighs> find the support somehow. Definitely have therapy <laughs> early. Don't let this still be dogging you and haunting you decades later. Don't let it still be stealing from you decades later. Um, yeah, that was a hard lesson to learn. That I thought, I really thought I I was, you know, well on the way to being healed. And I, I really wasn't. I had a whole other mountain, a whole other mountain range to climb over, you know. But again, I learned a lot. <laughs> I learned a lot. <laughs> I wonder when I'm gonna graduate this school of learning <laughs> yeah. how to manage my issues.
0: I just wish I could hug you through the screen. I'm, I'm, you know, I feel so bad for, you know, everything you've been through and everything that you're still going through. It, it does come across that you're much further along you know in your your healing process than you were years and years ago but you know as as it is the case for all of us there's still a long way to go
1: there really is, and like you say I don't think it ever ends, but i i I do believe that there is a point where you where you start to feel balanced enough you know in your <coughs> kind of boat on the sea of life is balanced enough that you don't feel like it's listing you don't feel like you're just taking you're constantly having to bail water out you can actually begin to sail you know um i think i'm really getting close to that point uh but uh, but i i i am definitely a testament to how you know if if you don't get therapy if you don't dig into this stuff as soon as possible after leaving it it really yeah it'll it'll it's it'll dog you it really will i would say to anybody do the work get into it dig deep do the work as soon as you can um i've done the work as soon as i've been able to or as i've gleaned more understanding the light has gotten brighter, so to speak.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, but it's taken a lot of years for that, that light to brighten, for me to understand more mm. what I need to address and, um, and why I'm struggling with certain things, you know? Um, the organisation has ended up taking a lot more years from me in many ways than I should have allowed it to. But I will yeah. also say... That I still got out at 19 I've had some Great experiences that I've really Wanted to have You know um, I've, I've 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 been free And I've known freedom For many many years I, I may not have always You know Utilised that freedom to it's optimum But I am my life ain't over yet, and I am still working towards that being the best that I can be, given where I've come from. Uh, it's a, it's fascinating to me seeing people leaving now and hearing their fresh stories, while everything's fresh and they can remember all the detail and hearing all the stuff that people go through and you know the similarities to my, to my experience. It's it's it, that in itself is so healing just knowing that what what I went through and what I experienced has been echoed through so many other people's lives in so many different contexts you know.
0: Mm, yeah absolutely and, and it really warms my heart to hear you say that you know you know your, your life isn't over you know you've still got many years left ahead of you to you know utilize your freedom in the in the best possible way and to have a fallen and, and enriched life.
1: Definitely, you know and uh, and as I say, all, all of all of the, the things that I've done that I'm really happy about and the freedom that I've had to do things over the years, uh, even while dealing with you know my internal struggles and stuff, it's all been worth it, and there are experiences that I, I would not exchange for the world and uh, yeah. you know I, I am definitely learning continuing to learn how to live and how to be me and also learning how to love myself and accept myself and understanding that that is at the root of so much stuff as well and and digging deeper into that you know and and really honoring what I've achieved you know with without necessarily the support I would have liked to have had but I've achieved a lot and I've you know and I'm still here it's like I've been seriously suicidal three times in my life and I'm still here. I am a survivor um, and I've survived this cult uh, regardless of You know, regardless of of struggling with the after effects, I have absolutely survived this cult and this cult has no hold on me whatsoever.
0: I hope you're really proud of yourself for that. I I really do.
1: Really proud.
0: Thank you so much for watching to the very end of the video. If you haven't already done so, please like, leave a comment and subscribe to the channel. If you like my work and want to help me continue doing it, please support me on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash jexit underscore 2020. And with that, I'd like to sincerely thank these very special patrons who make these videos possible.